what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Yes, Pat. I can't help but notice you have a new puppy out there. I do have a new puppy. Have you thought about getting some expert advice on how to raise that puppy? Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it just happens that we do have an expert as part of our sponsor group. Really? Yeah, Dan Croft Canine. Do they run puppy class? They run amazing puppy classes. What What on earth do they do there? They've got whole ranges of foundation for puppy school. So they're running a complete socialization package and they're doing a whole range of different levels for puppies. And that's what they really wanted to emphasize is that they are experts in puppy raising and training. Where are they experts in puppy raising and training? In Toronto, Canada. Whoa. So if you were in Toronto, Canada, yep. and you had a friend, a client, a relative, just anybody who was getting a puppy mm-hmm. and you wanted to set that puppy up for success, yep, you could probably send them to Dan Croft, can I? If I was over in Toronto, Canada with my new little Rottweiler puppy, Mando, I would go over, and I'm, I swear this, I would go over and I would do the socialization program with them. Great I idea. love what they're doing. Have you seen their setup online? Oh, amazing. Fantastic. Amazing. They had a tire with a medicine ball with the pit bull doing a drop stay on top of it. My goodness. Amongst a dozen other dogs that were doing all similar things, like on BOSU balls and all sorts of things. My goodness. It was great. Fantastic. Unbelievable. Yeah. Hey, speaking of your puppy, mm-hmm. what's going on with his nutrition? Couldn't go past canine tuticles. Supplemented up. Supplemented up to the help. My goodness. Yeah. So he should have arms like Arnold Schwarzenegger by the time we're finished. Where did you get those canineceuticals from? From Narelle Cook. Narelle Cook. How, yeah. do you, how do you know her? <laughs> <laughs> Funny that she's got the same last name as me. Yeah. The supplier is very local. Absolutely. Canineceuticals, but Can- legit, it's probably the best supplements available. Best for supplements dog. available, human grade, gone through the absolute rigorous testing program. I mean, Narelle's got stat sheets on it and everything like that on demand. So if people want to know what they're actually putting into their dog's body supplement-wise, they can reach out to her and she's got all the facts and figures before she even put it down as a physical product. She spent years and years researching it before it was actually come to market. So great stuff. Yes, the puppy's definitely on it. All our dogs are on it. And there's a shit ton of people around Australia and New Zealand who are taking canineceuticals and the feedback is astronomical. Amazing. Yep. Do you plan on taking Mando on your motorbike? If I did, you know who I'd have to go to, don't you? You'd have to get one of those Rowdy Hound boxes. Rowdy Hound dog kennels. Yeah. From Horny George. George Kittridge himself. You'd have to get one of those Rowdy Hound dog kennels to go on the back of your motorbike. How good is your social media? It's the best. Yeah. I love watching the dogs cruise around motorbikes. I think it's one of the coolest things ever. They've got their little doggles on. Yeah. You know, like we talk about living the best life. Well, for people who are motorcyclists, they can do both. I'm serious about thinking about getting one, but then I've got to train a trainer. I, I don't know if having a Rottweiler on the back of a bike is going to be a great <laughs> idea. Your sport but, bike. <laughs> but, well, uh, I think you should do it. Maybe one day when I've got a smaller mid-sized dog, uh, I would get a Rowdy Hound dog kennel and mm. I could travel around. So I could not only enjoy the company of my dog, which hundreds of people seem to be doing across the United States of America, and I could motorcycle at the same time. So Amazing. two things that are very dear to my heart, Coming together. All right. This ad's going on for a long time. Mm. I need to get out of here and go and train some dogs. Yep. But do you know where I got the equipment that I'm going to use to train those dogs? The goat. 
The goat. The Billy Goat's gruff. Ein's a wiener. <laughs> the wiener himself. Ironswick <laughs> dog quip. Yep. If you're not buying all your dog training gear from them, yep. I don't know where you're fucking getting it from. Well, if not from Thurman, Ironswick dog quip, the Ein's a wiener. How the hell does he sell anything being such a grumpy old bastard? He's online now. He's got a website. That's you right. Can, they don't have to deal with him. You direct. can actually buy things <laughs> off the website. You can actually do it now. Yep. Einswickdogquip.com.au yep. or just .com. Probably one of them. I don't it's know. one of them. It just, we'll put it in the out. Yeah, put it, you'll, yeah. You'll click. You'll find a link. You'll buy some stuff. <laughs> Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And joining me across the table is everybody's favourite guest, Bertie O'Sheedy. Hello, podcast fam. How are we? How are you? Great. Before we get started, we should point something out to the listeners. There might have been a lull in podcasts coming out. We're always complaining about being super busy. But last week, we <laughs> tried to record. So we normally, like at the moment, we've found time to be recording on Thursdays before training. Last week, we couldn't do it. We were like, oh, we'll do it after training. And I literally fell asleep during the episode. Oh, yeah. It was <laughs> to the point where Glenn was talking and looks to me like, add your weight to that, Pat. And I just <laughs> stared blankly at him. And I said, mate, I can't even think. I have nothing to say. You were asleep with your eyes <laughs> open. <laughs> you needed my Duna jumper that I'm wearing right yeah. now. Oh, I, I didn't need that. I was asleep. I didn't need anything. I was just out. And I said, mate, I don't think I can continue this. We, we had to recorded. kill the episode. Yeah, we, we were like 40 minutes in. Mm. And I was like, mate, I just, I've just realized I've been waffling nonsense. And I'm pretty sure the episode before, because we recorded that like pretty late at night remotely. And I was half asleep during that one as well. So. Hopefully I perform better this time. That was hilarious. I was listening back to that one. You're going, welcome back to the canine paradigm. (laughs) (laughs) Even before when you came on air, I could tell you're gassed. You just look like one of those little kids whose daddy has to pick him up and take him to bed. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, that's the problem. I'm dealing with too many of them in real life. That yeah. I've become one. No one's here to do it for me. Before we kick this off, it's great to see you again. It's been a long time professionally, like podcastingly, and also just in general life. We don't get to see each other like we used to hang no, out. No, I really, I think I told you both how much I missed you. Like I really did. And it's really great to be back. I'm really grateful to be here. What's happening work-wise? I'm an eco-psychotherapist specializing in nature-connected healing and trauma work. So Mm -hmm. I'm part of an international trauma committee that develops tools and I write papers. I present at webinars and I do a lot of self-care with nature. Like there's a lot of evidence coming out that the reason why society is struggling so much with nature – oh, no, sorry. The reason why society is struggling with mental health is because there is – the core need of connection to nature is not being met because nature just naturally nurtures you so much. We as dog people, we know that we love dogs, like dogs are an extension of nature. There's just so much evidence coming out now that if you are connected, like even if you just go for a walk in the woods, you just naturally are more grounded. So you need to do less meditation, less cognitive restructuring. And and if you have a sense of connection with nature, you also have a higher chance of feeling a sense of belonging. Mm. There's so much good stuff coming out. And yeah, I love my work at the moment. I do one-on-ones. I'm in America for self-care seminar. So if you're struggling with burnout or mental health or whatever, highly recommend it. I've got something I want to add to that about <laughs> this nature thing. I saw this thing online the other day, but talk about what's happening in America. What are you doing there? 
in October, listeners, you should join me because I'm in Richmond, Virginia, and we're going to do a kind of like a boot camp of self-care of helping you have your best life really with nature, but also we're going to have one-on-one calls with me and a group call and then the two days in person with me. So it's a pretty cool package. Mm-hmm. And if you feel a bit worn down or you feel like, man, I can't, you know, I can't figure it out what, what I need to be thriving, that's the way to go. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about your loyal soldier that you've acquired to cope in life and we're going to show you how to improve. Cool. Yeah, I feel like I'm taxing my loyal soldier at the moment. Yeah. I think the loyal soldier concept from Bill Plotkin is amazing. Like it's such a game changer and I'm teaching it to therapists at the moment. So mm. I'm a very nature connected person. Like people will call it a hippie, but it's so not hippie-ish. It's like hardcore science at the end of the day. And it's amazing the results. I'm I'm frothing over it, and it's, I see it. <laughs> frothing? No, I love it. Like it's the, it's the, I mean, I love for instance. So like, millennial language of you. Yeah. Well, I have kids. I'm very into psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, but nature connectedness is on par. That they have very different strengths, but outcome oriented, long lasting effects. It's full on there, and I have people who have had, you know, treatment resistant problems, and they use it, and they have life changing events happening, like. I think it's great that the politicians around the world are lessening their grip on allowing people to use psychedelics in treatment of physiological and psychological assistance. The fact that people are actually doing testing on MDMA and psilocybin and so forth, I think that's great that um, something that's a plant medicine and people are embracing it now rather than just saying, oh, no, no, the government said, no, you can't do it. No, there's a huge, I mean, I'm getting supervision by Sean O'Carroll, who is Australia's leading force in it. And he, I love his work and he's also my eco-psychotherapist trainer. And there's so much research coming up, but it still has to be really respected because, you know, the media is really hungry for it because it's like this new kind of opening healing door. Mm. But it has to be respected because it can also, a lot of things can go wrong, especially if the setting and, you know, the integration or people, not everything is suited for it as well. Mm -hmm. But, But that's like everything, right? I mean, alcohol, you could say the same things. Tobacco, you could say the same things. Too much Panadol, you could say the same things. I mean, if there's no regulation, if there's no governance with appropriate people, it's always open to abuse. I mean, look how many people suffer from alcoholism. Look how many people suffer from prescription drug overdose and so forth. There's always going to be that problem when people abuse anything. We talk about that in dog training so much, like the concepts of training tools or training methodologies. It's the same all over the world with no matter what you do. It, It does need governments. It does need, I think the best word is guidance, good guidance, good mentoring. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's also a huge difference if you have... For example, PTSD and you turning towards these things by yourself or if you have psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, they're very different things. You know, yes. self-experience and psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, they're very different categories. But it's so exciting. But if for me, I have to say nature connectedness is so potent, it's incredible. Like I've had plant medicine experiences, various ones. I've been to various silent retreats, meditation retreats. And I've done an eco-psychotherapy retreat online, which how I've been taught, and it was hands down one of the most extraordinary experiences. And it's just you in nature with certain tools and guidance, and that's what I'm wanting to do now too. So if you're interested in a self-care online program, shoot me an email because at the moment I'm collecting people who want to do it. So if I have enough, I'm going to do it. But in America, you get to have me one face-to-face in cool. person, so you should come. When's that? That's October, right? Yeah, it's in October. Shoot me an email, hello at birdieoshidi.com. 
and I can get you in touch or with Melanie Benware, who's hosting me. Melanie cool. Benware. Yes, Kindred Canine Solutions. Yeah, we got to get to dog trading, but <laughs> I want to talk about something. I want to get your opinion on it. Have you seen that thing that Saudi Arabia building the line? Have you seen that? The mirrored one? Yeah. Yeah, I'm so, a bit concerned. Yeah, like 117 kilometres long, 500 metres high, but only 200 metres wide. They're selling this bullshit about it being like totally eco-friendly and all this bullshit. Oh, and and because there's know. no cars in there, there's going to be like, there's no cars, so there's no emissions. It's like, how the fuck do you think you're going to power that thing? It looks like a dystopian hellscape because if it's 500 metres high and only 200 metres wide, only a few stories down and you're done getting sunlight, right? Like that's it. Like there will be no nature in that thing. And they're trying to pitch it as being like, you know, they have this like fly through of the mock-up and it all looks beautiful and green and all this. It's like green paint is not nature. (laughs) I don't know if I'm talking about the same project, but there was also a legitimate concern about an architectural project that was just really interfering with migration of the birds and the wildlife, you know, like these 500 meter high is yeah, big. Like, yeah, That's a monumental yeah, statement. Yeah, it's like tall as the Empire State Building, but 117 kilometers long. Jesus. And it, like, it, it goes like coast to coast. So it's, it's a wall. When I saw the video on it and they're claiming it's going to be this amazing thing where 9 million people are going to live, I was like, tell me you've never left the palace without telling me you've never left the Mm. palace. Like, don't know what the human experience is to think that anyone's going to want to live in that thing. Jeez, there's some strange things happening around the world at the moment, isn't there? There is. It's It's, just totally bizarre. It's really a weird time to be alive. It's called the egocentric period Mm. in a lot of the literature. Really? Yeah. What does that mean? It's all about the ego. From a human development point of view, there are different models like Eric Erickson has done, and we've talked about him, quite a few models of what life stage goes with what accomplishment of what tasks. Mm -hmm. And one model by Eric Plotkin is that you basically move from an ego's perspective more to an eco-soul-centric perspective. And right now society lives in this constant developmental phase where we independent from the age group you're kind of like a pathological teenager so you are 50 but you still want everything about you you don't think about the next generation or the bigger picture it's all about how can I express my ego how can I accumulate more you know greed is a big topic there's a whole episode on this but the interesting thing is right now that probably society is very much more individualistic than community-based and Mm -hmm. there's a huge push towards community Mm -hmm. more and more yeah I see that I know this is a dog training show, but I'm going to quickly say how devastated I was to learn that Olivia Newton-John passed away. Well, we were just talking about her mm. a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. Were we? Or did that one go out? No, I don't think it did. No, because that was one I fell asleep in. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> how dare you, sir? It was riveting. How dare you? It was riveting conversation. But I'm not going to make this a long one, but I think she's hands down one of the nicest people. I've met her once. I cool. walked her out when I used to work at Grove Live. I picked her up from the green room and I walked her on stage and I walked her from stage back to the green room and she's hands down the nicest, kindest person. I don't think there's a bad thing that she's ever done in her entire life apart from try and make people feel good and she was the first love of my life. Like, like most Aussie blokes around my age from Greece and Xanadu and everything like that, she was a classy lady. Mm. Ages ago I talked about this year losing my beloved Dawn and mm. people like that just make the world better. You know, we talk about what a strange time it is to be alive, but when you have some of these grounding people in your life or influencing in the community, it just makes the world such a better place. Mm. And people like Olivia Newton-John when she was alive and when she was doing things, she was such a good ambassador for Australian culture, 
getting us out around mm. uh, overseas and lovely, lovely person. So, yeah, sad. Yeah, very it sad. is. It is. There is, you mm. know, there's also a big push, you know, for having the importance of elders or, you know, role models to look up to and and what they do. And Yeah, it's, it's a, I mean, I could talk about that. That's a good thing, you know, like we've been talking forever and a day about the importance of mentors, good mentors in the dog training community. And it is, I think, part of the acceptance of being a good mentor is not just that you're a skilled person, but you're also a decent person as well. Because I know people, as you do and you do, Bertie, in all different fields who are very skilled people, but they're fucking assholes. <laughs> What if we're the asshole? <laughs> well, well, I think that's a, that's an interesting concept and that's something that I think we've played around with a lot and it's something that circles around a lot in my head. Pat and I were talking about the movie. Buzz Lightyear. Buzz Lightyear. Well, it's Light called Lightyear. Year. It's incredible. It's great. Not only is it a very well done movie, but it's got a very good message in it. But it says a line in there which has been said before in other movies, which is if you live long enough, you see yourself become the monster. I think when you say what if we're the arsehole, I think you ebb and flow to different people in different times where some people will see you as being the saviour or the mentor and other people will see you as being the arsehole. It depends. All about duality. Well, it depends on the set of eyes that are looking at you. It's the it's the frame that you're being lit in at the time, I think. Yeah, and also the frame that you light up, like, you know, what face are you in? Like, mm. Mm. Well, duality is a thing, right? So you can only shine if you know your shadow. Shall we talk about some dog training? Dog training. <laughs> <laughs> you have a new dog. Yes, I have a spicy ball of sunshine called Pax, but we've also given him another name, mm-hmm. Skippy Mayhem, because he jumps and looks like a kangaroo. Skippy Mayhem. Skippy Mayhem. I like it. And, yeah, he, he, he has the colour of a kangaroo, like he's a fox red working land lab from beautiful Carl. I love my breeder. Yeah, he brings mayhem, like... You know, when you think of a lab in advertisement, you think of this really cute, chill puppy. Yeah, yeah. I don't think my puppy can sit longer still than a half a second and needs to chew something. He destroyed my coffee table this morning, despite me being aware of it and trying not him to destroy the coffee table. Yeah. He's your first puppy, right? He is. And yeah, I just love him, but he's also such a teacher, you know, like I can see how... How Luna prepared me for him. Like, I feel like Luna was my moon and Pax is my sun and they... She kind of prepared me a little bit because I think I would be struggling is not the right word, but he's a challenge, you know, like he not in a bad way. He's just asking me to step up, essentially. You know, Mm. he's just making me grow. Talk us through the process a little bit. Like, how is it that you ended up with a lab, a working line, one of all things? And how did he get his name? I'm interested in the choice of name. Where'd that come from? Yes. All right. So when Luna passed, I wanted to have another dog, but... I needed a break from having a dog just to see, you know, what's mm-hmm. happening. And then I first thought I'm going to have a shepherd because, you know, looking at everyone in this room, I'd have a melanoma or a shepherd. Mm-hmm. But then I visited Avery, beautiful Avery. I love Avery's dog, Sulu. Like Sulu really left an impression in me because he's so soft and sweet but so badass at the same time. And they have a... Sulu has a lifestyle that I love, like being out in the bush and conservation work. Like that's yeah. So to explain for people who don't know, Avery works with Zulu in wildlife conservation. I think he detects koala scales. Yeah, that's one of the things he does. And and he's a lab. He's a black lab. Yeah, Avery's also designed our shirt designs. Yeah, skilled artist. um, Amazing, amazing person. Apex Canine is Avery's company name. Great person, wealth Amazing. of knowledge, and very, very loving, giving person. Like great to be around. Just a legend. Yep. 
So you went and saw Zulu. Yeah, I met Zulu a few times and I just loved Zulu. And he was the first lab that I found interesting. Like before I I never, to the point that people thought, Bertie, if you were a dog, you would be a lab. And I was nearly offended. (laughs) (laughs) I I know know that this is going to get me a a couple, at least two hate emails, but I've always referred to yellow labs as the vanilla of dogs. It's the vanilla of dogs. Yeah, and and I had a similar reaction. I'm like, ah. It's like vanilla ice cream. I'd rather have chunky monkey chocolate chip. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're like the cam- they're like a Camry of dogs. But I think that's kind a of true choice. of the pet shop Yellow Lab. They're a non-working line. That's that's something that's been bred into pet heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But so I've never met a working line lab, and then I met Sulu, and I'm like, whoa, you're a different type of dog. And then I talked to Avery, and I talked to my friend Lauren, who's also so beautiful, and Avery's like, why do fuck, do you want to get a shepherd? It doesn't fit your life because I don't want to do dog sports like protection work or, you know, IPG. She's like, you want to have, what do you want, buddy? What's your reason? I'm like, look, I'm having a property. My property's called Refugia because I want to have a refuge for animals but also people in their soul who want to heal. So I will have group workshops and people coming, you know, trauma workshops and self-care workshops. She's like, so you want to have a friendly dog, eh? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, why do you want to work against what you want? Like, you know, pick a breed that's naturally matching your life. And I'm like, what do you mean, Avery? And Avery's like, Zulu, birdie. You know, you love bushwalking. I love going for three, four-hour bushwalks. And mm-hmm. after Pachamama Glow Up Baby collect trash mm-hmm. as a form of payment, and Avery's like, you know, you could do something with that, whether it's carrying it or where, whether you put scent to it. Like there's lots of cool, fun stuff you can do with him. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, but then I need a breeder. And then I was given a couple of breeders. And in the end, I met Carl from Red Cypher and Sporting Retrievers. Mm-hmm. And I just loved the way he raised his puppies. You know, he develops them really nicely. And uh, he took so much time to talk to me and what I want. And he had a litter on the ground when I was looking, but it was a higher drive litter than I wanted. Like it was a very sporty litter. And I said, I don't want to have a super high drive dog because it's not, you know, like it's not what I do. And my, the dog's also going to live inside my tiny home. Mm-hmm. So we waited for the for the second litter, which was a bit of a softer litter. And I was just blown by the treatment, you know, like I got videos, I saw the development of the puppies, how social they were, the parents were amazing, the parents are performing really well. And, you know, health-wise. And, yeah, that's how I traveled to the Sunshine Coast to get my puppy packs. And the name comes from a meditation. Like it was, I was meditating and then the name came to me. And then I probably have heard it maybe before, but I did not know what it meant. Then I looked it up and it means kiss of peace. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I feel like if you give a dog a name, it's kind of what you're working towards too subconsciously. <laughs> so now his name is Kiss of Peace, Pax, but also Skippy Mayhem because Skippy Mayhem. he needs to balance. <laughs> it always cracks me up when you have the way dogs' names evolve. So like Valerie's real name, well, her kennel name, her, you know, her name on her pedigree is Canicula Elderberry, right? That's her. Oh, you have a planter because Pax is yellow billy button, billy button. Billy button. Because all the all the uh, dogs were giving wildflower names. So you yeah, have right. elderflower. Elderberry. Elderberry. Very yeah. nice. Yummy. Yeah. So then her first name was Valor because the week that we got her, a guy who I was in the army with was posthumously awarded the Victoria Cross, uh, Cam Baird, 
one of the guys at work was like, oh, you should name. Because the, the original intention with her was to train her for the video series and then we're going to give her away. And the idea was she was going to be like a PTSD assistance dog and pretty quickly realized she'd give you PTSD before she helped you <laughs> with it. And so, so her name was Valor. And then it was Val and then it became Valerie. It would like it, it oh. certainly evolved over time. So yeah, that's, it's always interesting the way they change. And remember Remy, like his real name's Remco on his paperwork. His name's black flag Remco. Right. And then it was Remco, but then he became sweet, precious, tiny little <laughs> yeah, baby Remco <laughs> pretty quickly. <laughs> it was like adding, it started out as baby Remco and then it was sweet baby Remco and then it was sweet, precious baby Remco. And it just got more and more ridiculous. And then the girls here used to call him Split Bar, right? Because that was the, <laughs> the breakdown of sweet, precious, tiny little baby Remco. And then it just became Remy. Uh, but I'm always interested in the way that they change. I love Bouncy Kangaroo. No, Skippy Mayhem. Skippy Mayhem. Because you will see when you meet him later on, he just bounces constantly. Like, you know when you have a puppy feeding guide? Mm -hmm. It does not apply to him because he burns through the calories so yeah. fast. And so he can't sit still. That's got to be one of the interesting things, like being your first puppy. One of the things that blows your mind. I've raised a lot of puppies. I've had I've had a lot of puppies come through my hands over time. And one of the things that always amazes me is how much goddamn food they eat. Like a teenage boy going crazy. The puppies that Jazz has at the moment, the two young Mallies, what are they, like five months old or something? They eat more food than my – and they're, you know, 12 kilos or whatever they are. They eat more food than my 30-kilo Mally. Yeah, but you got to understand they're yeah, not they're sustaining. Building. Yeah, they're, they're growing bone yeah, yeah. and growing organs so and it's, skin. It's and shocking when you see how much they yeah, eat. Yeah, it is. Like, and they're still like skin they and bone. Pax goes through these phases where he's nearly too skinny and then he goes chunky monkey. And then yeah. at the moment he has a pinhead because his body is bigger than his head. And he his dad is so beautiful. So it's fox right with a really broad shoulder like it's a British lab, his dad. And he goes after his dad who's British. His mum was American. And I'm just looking at him and every day I'm kind of fascinated how he changes. And overnight they go through hormonal changes. Like today he's so bitey because I think he's hurting in his teeth. Yeah. You know, he's just like, mm. right. And then the other day someone's like, how is your training going? And I'm like, do I have a dog? Do I have a land shark? Do I have a, an alligator that just rolls around? Who knows today, right? Like the, 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 te the teething thing itself is very, very frustrating. And Mando's going through that at the moment. It's always a frustrating time for any owners of puppies. But it's like that old crash joke that people used to say, which I still find funny to this day, is why does a dog lick its balls? Because it can. So if you let them chew furniture and so forth, because they can, they will do it. Owners find this very frustrating. Like it's, this has been an evolution, a discussion most dog trainers have had with new puppy owners and puppy owners since the dawn of time because people will say, oh, it's chewing the furniture, it's chewing this, it's chewing that. And as I say to them, it's a puppy. Like it doesn't really even know. It's like little kids who don't know not to put things in their mouth or grab things or pick things up or smash things or fall over and hurt themselves. They, they don't know. It's all part of the cycle of learning. So it's an evolution. But it's like so many bits of advice that I've given people and other trainers have done exactly the same thing is a way of abstinence, is just taking the possibility of, the, of it away from the dog. So you and the dog really don't have to go through this constant destructive relationship where the dog is constantly being punished and unaware of what it's doing. I know punishment works. I've seen it effectively applied all throughout my career. I've seen people do it well with puppies before and it hasn't leached into the field of abuse, but it's also very hard and it can be bond diminishing if it's not done clearly and cleverly. Mm. And that's one area that people need to pay a little bit more attention to. You know, like this dog's going to live for anywhere between 10 and 15 years. Let's say 
Hopefully. 12. I'm wanting this so badly, right? Like you're putting the effort in because you, for me it's a companion, right. it's a family member. You're right. It's a family member. It's something that's beloved to you. It's not the enemy. And this is why a lot of puppies just don't last in homes and why they're quickly rejected and thrown into a welfare case. Like people bought this puppy, fell in love with it, you know, like it was a part of their lifestyle and very quickly they find it's pissing, it's shitting, and it's chewing. And they're three sort of caveats to having puppies where people go, oh, this is really disruptive to my lifestyle. People feel this about their own biological children too. That's why forever and a day there's been orphans because, you know, it could be related to mental illness. I'm sure it sometimes is. But there's other times where it's just like, I don't want to be trapped in this lifestyle anymore. Like I've just realized I can't have this type of lifestyle. There's a large degree of selfishness in that when you – go out and purchase a puppy or you go out and have a child and then suddenly decide, I don't want to do this. And when I say the selfishness, because people go, come on, Glenn, that's unfair, but you've got the ability to do the homework. You've got the ability to ask people what it's like or shadow people who have got it. You've got that ability to do it. And I know that it doesn't exist exactly the same with all people, but as long as I've been in this industry for, I've just been bewildered at the fact of what people won't do only to, to impulse buy or impulse do something to get it and then figure out this is no good. But that's what puppies do. That's what little kids do. And yeah. even that's what young children in, into adolescence and some adults do. They don't learn. They keep making silly mistakes. They need to learn. So in line with that, how long was it before you got the puppy regret? I haven't had the puppy regret. You haven't had no, it at all? But I have, I tell you, my budget's blown out because <laughs> so I had more understanding why people have their dogs, especially their working line dogs outside maybe because I have a small cottage and my puppy, I can be three rooms away, my puppy's still 10 metres away from me, yeah, right? Yeah. And literally my crate for my puppy is in my lounge room and my lounge room is tiny. So when I hear remove everything, I'm like, I can't remove my life. So my puppy has to go from its crate to, I don't know, the door or whatever. There's a bookcase. There's a fireplace with sticks, you know, there's the shoe. Like my house is just practical, right? So there's a lot of redirecting happening at the moment and I've blown my budget out because I realized really early in I need – a lot of true things so that I can just redirect and that I'm mm-hmm. ready. So I should have bought investment stocks in bully sticks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also ties me into I'm really lucky that I have a dog that I absolutely adore. Like I love his character. Like my breeder literally picked – I knew the puppy when I saw it that I want that puppy and I know I did exactly what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to fall in, in love with a puppy that was young because I'm like you don't know later on. But I literally picked a puppy that I fell in love with at the beginning and the breeder picked the same puppy. And he's a clown. He makes you laugh. He's super smart but very soft and warm. Like he, with children he's so amazing at this young age. Like he has just this, what you can't train, it's just a character of the dog. Mm. But I, I do feel sorry for my husband. And it reminds me one of your episodes that, and also what they said on the, mm-hmm. on the discussion forum. Like, like my husband likes dogs but he doesn't love dogs the way I do and he's very supportive like Dan's beautiful but Pax doesn't like sleeping he has ants in his pants all the time like and you know toilet training him or like he's very attached to humans so for him to be away from humans is always attached with some form of protest and you have to be so careful with him and his life changed more or less with the puppy you know Mm. like he's like 
And then we have morning cuddles. We used to have coffee in bed for 15 minutes before work, so now we have this puppy mayhem. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to talk about the life dynamic and that kind of stuff, but I'm curious. I get the puppy regret at pickup. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I didn't the first couple, right? But then, like, when you know what's coming, that's why I was curious because, like, being your first puppy, you get that, like, excitement of, like, woo, new dog, this is going to be amazing, I got a new dog. But for me, it, I, I do that. And I, I always want a new dog. I always want a new one. And then whenever I have to take one for work or I'm getting one myself, it's uh, it's in the car on the way home when the noise starts in the car and I'm like, Whoa. Oh, yeah, that old chestnut. Yeah. Mm. What have oh, I, I did have, done? So, so I have had that moment, oh, my God. Like I did a lot of research and nothing to come back to Glenn's point. Like I've done a lot of research about puppy training like and should know a little bit about puppies but nothing prepared me for this energy bundle that they have but when you say when you talk about preparing for puppies like a lot of people prepare for the good side of puppies they don't prepare for the dark side of puppies listening to pat talking and listening to your experiences with packs when narelle and i went to pick up mando from a friend of ours lisa chin and she lives down in mossvale which is like two hours away so we drove down there and when we took him back in the car, he was a very energetic puppy. He always was. Lisa used to send us shitloads of updates. She's a very good breeder and she really connects with her her people. Mm. So she spent a lot of time developing. She was spending a lot of time talking to Narelle and I before we even decided on getting him uh, about raising them, the whole litter, supplementing them, improving the parents' lifestyle, everything, anything she could do to think of. She's really, really proactive. Proud of her. Proud of people who do those sort of things. When we went to pick him up and we had him in the car, he hopped in Narelle's lap and then she put him in the footwell of the car on a towel and we had the temperature all regulated in the car. He went straight to sleep. Mm. And I thought, oh, that's so cool. And I thought, we're going to pay for this when we get home. You know that, don't you? And Narelle's going, yeah, I know. And I said, it's the week of hell. We set him up in the sunroom. We had a great big crate set up in there for him and we put a baby gate around it. We put him in there. He went in there. He just looked at us. He turned around, walked into his bed went to sleep and he woke up in the morning. I know Narelle called me. She couldn't believe it. it. Still to this day, Mando is the most amazing puppy I've ever had in my life. He can be full of energy when you want him to be. He'll rouse on you and he's like very into what you want to do. He loves retrieving. He loves doing all those sort of stuff. You put him to bed, he just hops into bed and there's no protest and there's never been since the day we brought him home. Like it's, it's uncanny. Can you talk to Pax? Can you? Can well, I? <laughs> I, I just don't know. I think we've suffered so many times with so many other puppies, you know, especially the Frenchies. They were just horrendous when we used to get them. But I think we've gone through our trial period and I think, you know, our Lord and Saviour has just looked down on me and said, my fam, I'm just going to give you a break on this <laughs> one. And really did. Like we got a, we got a real big hall pass with Manda. He's just been an amazing puppy. And I really wish other people could experience that, that really needed that in order to have that little puppy stay in their home. But it's just not the way traditionally on how puppies work. And as you said, people do read about puppies. They read about nutrition. They read about what toys to get. There's a jungle of information out there, like just an absolute plethora of information on the internet, but not a lot about the dark side of having a puppy. Well, let me tell you the deepest dark side that gives me anxiety every Mm. single day. My husband and I both work from home. Pac's very communicative. He chirps like a bird. Mm. And yeah. Uh, you, you, you and I have had some yeah. online laughs about that. Yeah, because I'm a bird. Yeah, yeah. Of course, he's raised by a bird and chirps. So, my whole day, my anxiety in the day is have I 
found the right balance in working him enough that he will be quiet for 70 minutes so I can have my psychology sessions and my husband can work and it's not interrupted. Can I just jump in quickly on yes. that one? Because I, I have something burning to say about that. Yes. I think it's very important that the puppy learns it can't drive you and create a behavior in you that you need to then entertain the pup. And this I is something you. this is something that I say to Narelle on a regular basis is I don't want Mando to train you that he has to have these allotted times when he wants them. He, it's given to them when it's appropriate time and he's in the right frame and we're in the right frame. I hear you. There was a turning point like two weeks ago where I – realized that he's running my life and not the other way around, you know. So so if you're trying to be more unpredictable with things, I mean, there's so much to learn. Like I'm a first-time puppy owner, like I make a ton of mistakes compared to someone who may had a lot of puppies, right? So it's probably not the most efficient, smoothest way. But already it's making changes, you know, just to go like, no, I'm in charge here. You're the puppy. But there's still a long way to go. There is. Just to give you an idea of even in a dog training home where we actually deal with the psychology of preparing other people to do it, like Narelle's very routine generated. She just is very structured, systems orientated and very organized where I'm not, I'm the opposite. Narelle, when she was doing the dog lover show for her brand, she was staying in the city with her friend Deb. And she just said to me, you know, like can, or at Homebush, wherever it was, and she said, can you make sure that you look after the dogs? And I said, yep, no worries. Just leave me a list of what you want them to have and, you know, supplement-wise and so forth. So she said, well, I'm not going to give you the full gamut, but here is the list. So she wrote out everything with the cats, the dogs, everything. Six dogs, one cat, you know, wow. like it's it's a lot of work. Mm. But the thing is, is Narelle's got them on a routine of what time she wakes up. So the dogs started demanding at 6 o'clock in the morning, I want to be fed. And I literally shut my door and went, fuck you. (laughs) You're not getting it. And the dogs were horrified. Their whole routine was jacked up. But I don't like dogs having a routine. I don't like them learning that at 6 o'clock, unless you have to leave the house at that time, you know, and then you arrive home and and there's, you know, kids sports and so forth and you've only got small windows, I don't like my dogs learning that they can push you and develop a routine with you like that because if it doesn't work, they can become very, very vocalized, which mine were. They were all vocalizing. They were being horrible, you know, for that that entire period of time. From a training standpoint, that's really interesting because I have big feelings about that as well. And that it's kind of inevitable for the most part. Most people, you know. You have to do it. Yeah, especially mm. at now that I have more of a structured life, right? Yeah. I have like a workplace that I go to at irregular times, whereas, you know, I haven't really had that much in the past. It's yeah. all over the place. It's quite difficult to avoid falling into a routine. If you dogs, have to, right? you have to. Yeah, that's right. And it's been quite on purpose that I've avoided developing too strict a routine with my dogs, you know, for a few reasons. But- The main one with working dogs is that you want them always ready to work. Mm. It's like, no, there is no days off. Like when you take, when the opportunities arrive for you to work, you take those opportunities. Mm. And when there's a routine, they're like, no, this is a day off. This is not a work day. I don't do that. I've noticed since I've inevitably sort of put my dogs into a, a, you know, a pretty strict routine at the moment, they thrive in a routine. They do fine. They do great. They're, They're no happier. They're no better than when we are all over the place. 
They do fine in the routine, but when the routine is broken, it affects them oh, big significantly. Time. Yep. It affects them really significantly when they have an expectation that something's going to happen and it doesn't happen. Mm. And Remy especially, like Valerie, you know, her life's been all over the place. She's she's much older. She's lived through a lot of different iterations of our home, right? She's lived with no kids. She's lived with one kid, two kids. She's lived with me being in the army. She's been through a lot and yep. she adapts very, very quickly. And she can moderate herself much better than Remy can. But for Remy, like if he has an expectation that something's going to happen because he's read the play on even just what time I get up, like if I have to go to work early and you know, most of the time I get up really early now to walk him. And if that doesn't happen, but I still get up early because I've got somewhere else to be, or, you know, like I have to be on an early phone call, early meeting or something like that. So I wake up at the normal four thirty, five o'clock, but then go upstairs and not straight out the door with him. It stresses him the fuck out mm. to the point where like, you know, and it's not stress, like bad stress. It's just arousal that he's then like, I have an expectation that we're going to go do the thing that I enjoy to do. Yeah, it's and not usual. Yeah, and then mm. then it doesn't happen. But he's brought himself to that level of arousal that he then has to deal with by himself. Like, mm. I'm like, sorry, man, I can't satiate that for you. That's such an interesting point because in our house, it wakes everyone up. It wakes the neighborhood up and also I'm supposed to be in a calm, collected environment and mm. if I have a puppy screaming in the background. So there is, I hear you so strongly when you go like, oh, they shouldn't run your life and then like, yeah, but there's practicality at yeah, the end right. of the day too. There's all these cool rules that we all say, you know, like and as dog trainers we say never get the dog out of the crate when it's crying and all these different things and this is the procedure for putting a dog in the crate. This is one of the things I enjoyed the most about the last set of dogs that Jazz had, Fred and Frank, who, by the way, are all certified as police dogs oh, now yay. and working the streets and, mm. you know, all gone That's really great. well. Even as brothers, they were polar opposites. And Frank was a very independent dog and still is. And so, like, he works. The handover to the handlers was like, Frank works for the reinforcer. He'll do the things because you're going to give it to them. But Fred works to work with you. You can reinforce him with whatever you want. He just wants to be with you. Whereas Frank's like, you don't have the ball. I'm not doing the things, right? But Frank took to the crate as really quickly. Of course, everything Jazz did was perfect. She had everything, all the ducks in a row and everything was lined. Fred screamed in the crate for weeks and he, you know, was right next door to his brother who was totally settled in the crate and they had identical experiences. And it took probably six weeks before he was, you know, like observably settled in the crate. And one of the things that we see from a lot of people who, you know, have had a dog or two and raised them is, you know, because a lot of dog trainers, quite a lot of dog trainers who hand out puppy advice have only had one, two, three puppies themselves ever. Right? Just one. Yeah, a very often one because mm. often people or, or none, very often because a lot of people who are running puppy schools and, and you know, the sort of like junior dog trainers mm. are so because they had a problem dog and they usually got that as a rescue. That's usually the, the formula and how it goes. Yeah. And so they've never had a puppy and they give out this puppy advice and the advice that they give is accurate. It's correct. Because but it's, it's disconnected. The, yeah, it, that's exactly it. Mm. it it's, it's what the textbook says. And when yes. people come to them and they say, hey, I get it. But like the reality is I have a window between clients to let my dog out of that crate, right? So like if I'm in your exact circumstance, I'm working from home. I have 15 minutes between my bookings. That is the time that I have to toilet my dog. If the dog is screaming in the crate, I have the choice now of not letting him out because he's screaming in the crate and letting him stay in there longer. And I know, yes, that ticks the box of don't let the dog demand for you. But he is screaming in the crate because he needs to piss. And so, so 
And so do I just leave him to piss in the crate and now I've got a dirty dog, right? And now I've got a dog that learns to be helpless in the crate and actually thinks, well, nothing gets me out of here, which is what we want the dog to learn. Even when I'm busting to do a pisser, I'll just piss in the crate at the earliest onset of me needing to piss. And that's what we see. You see it in forums all the time with dog trainers that are, you know, I have a client or I have a client's dog that is dirty in the crate. It's often their advice from six weeks ago that caused that because you can't possibly know what's going on in the nuance of someone's life. You Mm. can't possibly be there. And exactly as you were saying, Bertie, I know your house. I've been to your house. But where your crate should be, how it all goes down, the way that you interact with your dog is specific to the layout of your house. Mm. And that's one of the things that I've, I, a long time ago, I certainly don't offer it anymore, but like I offered this sort of perfect puppy program thing. When I had a few people take me up on it, where it's quite expensive, but we did quite a lot of training prior to you even getting the dog. And one of those, so it was like a lot of sort of front end learning theory type stuff and getting people set up. But part of the package that I included was I will come to your house and we will talk about the logistics of how you're actually going to live with the dog. Because I think that's what gets left out. It's the space in between. And you can get online right now and there's, I've got, it's free on YouTube. Just search my name. You see the whole video series on how to raise a puppy. There's plenty of other people who've probably done a better job than me. And some of you will pay for, some of them they're free. There's endless resources on how to train a puppy. But what there isn't endless resources on, and in fact, there's no resources, is the space between those sessions and how to live with that puppy in your home, in your lifestyle. Mm. So it's fucking hard. And I think that we don't don't acknowledge that very much about how hard it actually is to raise a puppy. And that's why I say I get the puppy regrets every (laughs) single time. And I've had a lot. But I've got a crying room. I've got an underground fucking storeroom that I, I can put my dogs in. They can scream their hearts out. No one can hear it, right? I've got actual kennels. I've got actual kennels in my home, like in the yard there, but I do live in the middle of fucking suburbia. Like, but I have a whole system in place and I'm experienced in doing it. But the reason I get the puppy regrets every time I get one is because I'm like, shit, do I have a good one <laughs> or do I have a little screamer? And and they go both ways. I remember one day I picked a puppy up from the airport. They'd flown down from Queensland and me and another guy went and picked them up, right? There were two in the litter, both females. I get my, it's random, right? Whichever one comes out first, I'm taken, right? Because we're just raising them for someone else. He takes the other one. I sent a video from in my car as I'm driving away from the airport of like madness. It was just screaming like a, like I was murdering a dog in my fucking, in my car. I'm driving. It's in the kennel in the back, right? He, and I texted that to him. He sends me a corresponding video of him like pretending like he can't hear anything. (laughs) And his dog was totally quiet. But long term, his dog turned out to be a fucking headache, became wildly dog aggressive, despite him doing everything right. That was in that dog's genes. That was always going to go that way. Mine was a total sweetheart, right? Like, so like, you just don't know what you you got when you get them. Because Mm. like, for instance, my dog is very relationship oriented. Like he is so sensitive to the relationship. And and that's why I also like that litter so much. Explain that. Like, what do you mean by that? So my breeder bred that litter with a big intent for team work like uh, how good of a team compatibility you have with the handler like how many litters have they done before like are they a quite, re- a, quite a lot like like, like Carl has over 20 30 years experience okay. in Labradors yeah. and yeah, he cool. for example is Australian champion he just won the title in uh, gun dogs wow yeah congratulations like, Carl. no he's he's really like I love Carl I love his property I, yep. I saw the breeding grounds his parents like he's literally you couldn't wish for more. He knows his shit. He knows Labrador's in and out, yep. like really does. Yep. 
I got wanted to litter where other puppies from that litter also went to assistant roles, you know. So it's a very – a dog that wants to be with the human and packs in all the puppy videos had the most human focus. Mm. Like I, he just wanted to be with humans. And he has great toy drive. Like he loves working for toys and food. Like he's super versatile. He's heaps of fun. But what you have with him is he's so sensitive to your distance. Like for instance, for him – he always is aware where you are. And for him, I have to be, in my assessment, much more careful in giving him that independence a little bit slower than I maybe would with another dog, just because he's so sensitive. Like he's constantly checking in more than other puppies that I've seen. And I think it's just that you also need to know your dog quite well. Like for instance, when I listen to other people's dog advice, how they're like, oh, you know, this works for my puppy. I'm like, that will break my puppy simply because of a different character. A I have point. to be, I have to be much softer. Mm. As a psychologist, it fascinates me endlessly. The puppy regrets in that regard what I had was just that I'm like, I'm not going to sleep much. Mm. My puppy hates sleeping. <laughs> well, we usually tell people, anytime people have bought puppies from me in the past or have been involved in puppy raising and etiquette, we call it hell week or hell two weeks. So we advise people, I just said, you've got to understand taking this puppy home, there's a week to two weeks where it's going to be really helpful where this puppy starts to lament the fact that it's gone from its pack and it's in a different home, it's frightened, it's by itself and it's learning how to adjust to the new environment and the world that's shaping around it. It's a scary thing. It's a scary-ass thing. Most people would protest in the same sort of manner you know, like if you put someone in a room and they didn't know where they are, they'd be yelling out, let me out, let me out, where am I, come and speak to me. As we've been discovering and talking about it and you hit the nail on the head when that individualism is not met because a lot of marketing and a lot of programs around puppy training is around about the puppy that sits in the middle and when you look at the outliers on each side, there are puppies who are just like we lucked in with Mando where he's just fantastic. You know, he's the dream puppy that anybody would ever wish for. I don't know what he's going to turn into as an adult. For a working dog, he's still a puppy. There's going to be so many ebbs and flows in his behavioural onset, showing promise, of course, but I don't know what he's going to turn into. Whereas you look at the, when you're talking about the outliers and you look at the other side of that, where you get puppies who are very active and protest a hell of a lot and just go through a really unsettling process. Now, some people who are like Pat, who've got great setups, they can deal with that. And so can Narelle and I. If we've got an issue where we've got a puppy that just needs some additional space from us or time, we've got that perfect setup. We can put the dog in different places in the property and we can sort of have that time out. But for people who, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, who have just bought themselves a puppy, they're perfect nuclear family, mum and dad, two kids, whatever it is, and they've got this kid, they've got jobs, they've got lifestyles, they've got kids' sports and all that sort of stuff, they don't realise how incredibly unsettling that can be. They don't realise they've gone through having babies and having that sleep deprivation. So some of them are aware of it. I've had clients have said to me, look, I've had kids before. I know how the sleep deprivation works. We can work around this. Whereas other people, to them, it's just like, I, I can't work. I can't function. I can't do this lifestyle with this level of disruption around it. And I think that's the little niche side of talking about puppies that's very, very unknown. It is unknown. Like I didn't. Despite having access to great knowledge, I don't. I think I underestimated the disruptive factor. Mm. But in saying that, like Pax is beautiful. He adapts. Like he can sleep in his crate. You know, like he's great. Like he responds really well to training. He just 
is up a quarter to four every day. And it's like, I'm ready for the world. Hello. And I'm like, so I'm, I'm not, buddy. <laughs> like, slow down. <laughs> yeah. Whatever your routine was, it's not going to be like that again. That's the reality that you've got to have with a puppy is the routine is going to migrate into something else. And it has to. It like, has to. And I like him for it. Like, if he makes it till five, I'm fine. Like, five is okay, but quarter to four is a bit early. <laughs> yeah. Well, those little pockets of time that you had aren't going to be available anymore. They're just not. And I think it's acknowledging that as well. So, Jazz got two puppies at the moment. And right now, they're staying with other people from the club. They really were meant to be with me, but I had to say to her, I was like, I just can't do it. There's no way. Like, within, mm. within my life at the moment, I know I can't take on that responsibility of a puppy at the moment. Like they just to stay with me for a, a, a couple of nights, I can't do it. Well, you were going through that with your young son. Yeah, so that's the thing, right? So like our routine at home, we need to do an episode on this, like when we had the baby trainer come yeah. in. But like, I'd love to hear it. Mm. It was amazing. We should probably talk about it now. But when the baby trainer came in, we are on such a strict routine to keep him sleeping the way that he was because he was not sleeping. We, we were up every 25 minutes and that was ongoing for like six weeks. So we were zombies of human beings and like Jane much worse than me, right? But once we developed like, oh, no, we found a system that works. And this is what we talk about. Like, oh, like you're trying to avoid routine with the dog. But it, it's the same with the puppy. And that's what was... This is what was actually really embarrassing when the baby trainer was there because her daughter is a dog trainer and he like does disc and is quite into dogs. And I you know, realized I was a dog trainer and it kept sort of giving me these like dog training analogies. You know, it's just like dogs. And I was like, fuck, it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> like, and like just simple stuff like his room. So Axel, my son, like this is his sleeping room. He goes in there to sleep. Right. So we don't go in there to play. We don't and she's like and she's like, because you want to build a conditioned response about when he goes into here, this is where he goes to be calm. And I was like, fuck, what didn't I think of that? I was like, I have said the exact same thing, only replace cot with crate. I was like, I've 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 been talking on this podcast for four years now about how I don't train my dog in the house because I don't want high levels of arousal in my house. And she just hit me with the like my own thing that I've been saying for <laughs> ages. Medicine. And I did I was like, oh yeah. That totally like explain no further. I totally understand. I just didn't make the link. But you're tired, right? Yeah. Like that's oh, it. Like you're mess. not you're not performing at your best, but and you're not objective. But that's the thing. So it was it was remarkable to me when she came into our house and I'll say it fixed our baby in two nights. What happened with him was he was a pretty good sleeper. Like, you know, he was okay sleeper when we like brought him home. You're a really rough start to life. So, you know, things weren't great, but he developed a pretty strong routine, slept through the night a little bit. But once he got COVID, then that was it. Like, and we were trying to do the sleep training. We know how to do it. You know, it's the crate training for babies. It's the same shit. We were trying to do it, but then he got sick. So then I was like, it's not fair to leave him in there. He needs comfort. You were not doing the crate training while he's got COVID for sure as hell. And so then you're in this routine of staying up all night with him. Then it's hard to get out of that. We decide, okay, we're going to start trying again. He gets sick again. So then it's like, uh, cause you know, babies, they get sick all the time. Right. So he's got a cold. So we're like, uh, it's not fair to make him sort of go through it while he's in there. And then we are just stuck. We are just like, oh no, we're the people that have the baby in the bed with us. And he wakes up every 25 minutes, kicks us in the face, pinches my nose attaches himself to Jane's boob, goes back to sleep, repeat 25 minutes later. And we just found ourselves in this rut of like, oh, that's who we are. We're those people that that's how we live our lives. And to add a puppy to that would have been impossible, right? Yeah. Because I was barely functioning myself. 
But now I couldn't add a puppy to that life because like we, the baby trainer came in and what it was remarkable. She comes over at, you know, like an hour before bedtime and observes your routine to make sure you're not doing anything stupid. We weren't, she's like, yeah, cool. And then uh, what was interesting and, and um, I would like to try it with puppies one day is the white noise machine. So yeah. the white noise machine louder than you would think. And when I remarked on that, I was like, Hey, that's really loud. That's louder than I would have thought you'd put it. She's like, yeah, it's not only so that you don't hear him making noise, right? It's like not for him to hear. It's to drown out his own yelling from himself. Like he want, you need that him to think that that's ineffective even to himself. And I was like, I'd never thought of that. Wow. And then she watches him like a hawk. And it reminded me of all the times that I've been in someone's house and you know, with the dog training and you've explained it to them and they know they, you know, they're smart people, they're intelligent people. They've read all the theory, they've done all the things, but when you get there, you're like, Oh no, nah, I know like the textbook says this, but because of your exact circumstances and the way that your dog is acting, we're actually going to do a different thing. Right. Because I can read the dog or read the, I know exactly what the dog's thinking in this moment. We change, we make these slight modifications and people always look at you and go, Oh, you're amazing. And you're like, nah, it's got a lot of experience. Right. Well, it was the same with her. So, you know, the Furbinator method or whatever is like three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, you go in and resettle them. And so she's watching him on the monitor and the time comes up where it's time to go in and resettle. And she's like, no, 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 he's about to fall asleep because she can read baby body language. After two nights of it, she gave us this like list of, you know, like a basically a report card on who he is and all his signs. So you can like, we could read it and you can sit there and look at his on the monitor and be like, oh, that's his kind of last little yell, you know? And now that was, I don't know, six weeks ago, something like that. We'd put him down, say goodnight. He waves goodbye. See you 12 hours later, right? Put him down at seven, wakes up at seven. Wow. But we have such a strict routine to make sure that that doesn't get derailed because I don't know what effect it would have if, if we changed anything, but I'm sure as fuck don't want to find out. <laughs> yeah. Right. But it was amazing. And it truly reminded me of all the times that I've done the same thing with people's puppies and been in their home or dogs, not just puppies, but dogs and been in their home and being like, ah, you like, I know you understand it, but there's this little tweak that you're just missing. And there's a couple of little things that you're doing that are stupid and you got to change those and everything will change. And people are always like, oh, why didn't I think of that? And I'm like, cause you're an idiot and I'm a genius. <laughs> but, but no, I never say that, but they often sort of feel that way. And that's exactly how I felt when the baby trainer was in the house. And I was like, oh, this is all Expertise. common sense stuff. Yeah. And, and, but this is, this is all common sense stuff mixed in with a ton of experience. But does that makes an expert. But also I think sometimes that when you're so close to the problem, you just can't see it. Yeah, yeah. And you're being a father, not a hobbyist or a dog trainer. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you're concerned about your son. Yeah. And that's different. And that takes you away. And it's weird how that works because you sort of blank on those sort of things when you're so intimately involved in it. Like that's my son, not my dog. Yeah. But I think it's the same when we as trainers are in someone else's home and they're like, no, but this is my special puppy. And you're like, yeah, but this is a dog. I've seen thousands yeah. of them, right? And you're like, these are the things you got to do. And they're like, oh, but he's my special, unique snowflake. And it's like, I know, but this is what will fix the problem because yep. I'm separate from it and I, I read. I can see I, can, I can see that body language mm. for what it is. I'm not manipulated by it. It doesn't trigger the hormones in me that make me want to run to its rescue. I can just read what he's trying to get from that. Consciously or subconsciously, I know w- where this behavior is going and this is what we do to change it. 
and I totally understand how people feel like that with their own dogs because that's exactly how I felt with my son mm. and having an objective third-party expert was like, no, 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 this is yeah. what we do and fix the problem in two nights. Great. I'm so happy for you. Oh, Sleep's tr- the best. Yeah, tell me about it. I don't think I've <laughs> Still seen- Still don't get much, but that's because I'm working when I should be sleeping. Well, I don't think I've ever seen you so shattered in all the time I've known you. You were just <laughs> literally blanking out. But there was no- I mean, we just were a mess. I'd be talking to him and he would phase out and he'd just say, oh, sorry, mate, Axel's just killing me at the moment. He just won't stop. And I sent him this. I sent it to you on Instagram while with that mother who was sleeping in the bed with her baby. And yeah, like yeah. they fast-tracked like yeah. a 10-hour night where he's kicking her in the head and jumping on her and he's like, you know, like I, he's not humping her but he's humping her head. And all. I was absolutely in hysterics when I was watching it. I laughed so much I think I nearly dry reached. It was so funny because I was thinking of Pat and Jane and even though I thought it's not funny that it happened to them but Pat's explanation of what he was doing in bed with them and I'm thinking this is exactly what he was incurring and I sent it to Pat and I said and he goes, yeah, tell me about it, that's my life. It's funny that you say that you were looking at that as if it was funny. Like (laughs) I did find it. I looked at it because it's I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what's happening to us. That, that may as well be my room. Yeah. Right? Like I remember, like it, it didn't occur to me actually that I, you thought that that was funny. I, I was just like, no, oh, I know God. it's not funny for you, but no, I didn't no, have but, to live in the moment. You no, no, did. but I didn't even realize that oh, you thought oh, it was funny dying. until you just said I was that. Fucking yeah, that you were dying. Because I was like, oh, no, that's, that's what happens well, every night. See, I couldn't experience it, what yeah, you were yeah, going through, yeah. because you were telling me the story and I was empathetic to a friend. Yeah. But until I saw that little video with the mother and I, at the, the first time I looked at it and going, holy shit. They just like, spin around in circles. And this kid didn't stop. Like it was just like pulling the bedclothes on. He was turning sideways, kicking her in the face, punching her, slapping her, like tapping her to see if she was awake, pulling her eyes open, all sorts of stuff. And the first time, like I watched it, I think I watched it 20 times. The first couple of times I didn't find it funny. I was just like wildly intrigued at how much this little kid could move around and literally look like the exorcist, like spinning around on the bed while the mother was just trying to get some Zeds. But then after a while I started going, oh, my God, this is hilarious. Mm. Like, Pat, this is exactly what Pat's telling me. And I can laugh about it because I don't have to endure it. Yeah. The same thing. Like, I can't even tell you how many times I've been in people's homes and their puppy is just going ballistic, like going mental. And you're like, and I've just said, oh, that puppy's tired. Put him to bed. And they're like, what? Like, he's got all these behavioral issues. I'm like, he's just tired. Put him oh, to bed. And I have to say that I was so glad for Lauren. She told me, she's like, you need to know when Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, are trading. And it saved me so much. And to this day, he, Pax is really good when he goes in his crazy songs out. He has either zero gears or super gears. Like he doesn't have to gears in between yet. When he's between four and seven at nighttime, he has to protest falling asleep. Like he just fights it. Yeah. And and it's just a witching hour. You just know, like Dan's like, what can we do? I'm like, nothing. We just got to ride it out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. Mando's got a six to 7.30 witching hour. And we know that that's when he gets most of his energy and he needs to dispel it. So not that I like to have a routine and I choose when I come up, but I'll come up into the lounge room and I'll start playing with him at that time and release him from that energy. So when he does go to bed, he can sleep soundly knowing that he's been fulfilled. Mm. Otherwise, that's the only time where he sort of knocks his water bowl over it because he's just got a little bit too much energy to hop into bed and just, you know, go, oh, well, I'll just dust it off. These are other things when we're talking about identifying things behaviorally and what you're learning, what you've seen, Pat, and what 
other experienced dog people, we kind of know that there are releases that need to happen. Mm. And again, people will say, well, Glenn, you're contradicting yourself. You're talking about not having routine. This is different from routine. This is like allowing, it's basically like letting lightning out of a bottle. You know, it's so it, true. If you don't, le- if you leave it in there, the bottle will blow up. And it's it's so interesting, you know, when you know a little bit about different types of engagement. For example, for him, having a ball or a tuck that he can bite is very different to nose work at that time. Like he needs to leave out some. He needs to bite something. Mm. Like he needs to really be very physical. He needs to. He wants to tear something, or you know, have a fleur pole or something. A, a nose game just doesn't cut it. He's like. Nah, <laughs> I need physical and frustration release. Is he doing zoomies during that time? Yeah, he, I, but I have to stop him because we have such a slippery floor mm. and he, my, my house is really tiny. He just bonks into everything. I'm lucky I just take him outside on the property. Yeah. And, but you, you can see that he loves, he uses his nose so much, but in that moment he's like, no, I need to li- release some frustration. I need to bite stuff. That's Birdie pounding her fist while she's talking. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But um, thank you so much. That was really helpful. Like, yeah, that's my little puppy. I hope you get to meet him. Yeah, we'll go out and see him now. Yeah. I think you absolutely know this better than anyone but I think the main thing about raising puppies for anyone listening is that you make them feel safe and loved that's the main thing you said it to me before but that's also another thing if you lose your temper you gotta check yourself first yeah. through frustration you can hurt them but they can't hurt themselves so you put them away when it's like oh this fucking dog's driving me crazy you're just like you go in your crate I go over here and we both Have calm down yeah, yeah I was I was following this Labrador on Instagram and the Labrador is 10 month old and and she's like, the, the, the dog thought she's going to be the queen of the house, so I just went into the bathroom, put a face mask on just to defuse the situation. Have you got an Instagram for Pax? No, it's all under Birdie Oshidi because to me, he's you know, he's part of nature connectedness. Mm-hmm. And he's teaching me so much. Like I saw so many cool sunrises because of him. You know, when we got him, we had snowstorms, so we were out you know, with headlamps and torches and 100K winds and, like, he has no problem being out in any type of weather now. <laughs> like he's Perfect. They're marvellous at bringing a community together, aren't they? It's amazing when Pat was just asking you about whether he has his own Instagram page. If we post pictures of Mando and the boys socialising and so forth, they're people that I haven't spoken to in ages that will suddenly start DMing me and saying, oh, man, you know, look how big he's getting and... You know, yes. his, his head's looking lovely and it's just a – it's it's nice that these people are still in your life. Like you've thought, oh, they've dropped off. But they're not. They're there. They're just sort of looking and following along. But suddenly something has captivated some interest in them. Something that brings a tribe back together sometimes is the, the discussion of somebody else's dog. Yeah, and also strangers. Rip's homework at the moment. They're doing like a thing on facts and opinions and he had to write five sentences that were facts and five that were opinions and it was on dogs, just, you know, it's a random topic. So he's like sitting there thinking, it's got like dogs have four legs, it's a fact. And then he he says to me, he's like, what's another dog fact? And I was like, you know, that dog has like way more facial muscles than like its other relatives in the animal kingdom. And it developed those so that you could read its facial expressions. And he's like, that's not what I'm writing down. (laughs) I was like, but you know, that's a fact. Like he's more expressive as an animal so that we as humans like them more. And he's like... That's true. And then we spent like an hour like doing all Remy's different facial expressions because, you know, you can bring them on. You can – and like 
I got picked up a ball and you, Remy's face totally changes change shape, right? And he's like, how come he's totally different shape? I'm like, well, he's got his jaw clenched because he's like in anticipation and, and things like that. So it's like there's so many little cool things about your dogs that you can enjoy and learn about them. And like that's one of the things I love about having puppies is when you're like, who are you, man? Like, oh, it's and- so interesting. Like when the neighbor's kid came over, I saw such a different side in him mm. and it's a side that I had nothing to do with. It's just him, right? Mm. And you're just so in awe and it just reminds me, I think I've once read that dogs that have good eyebrow expressions through their markings or whatever have a higher adoption rate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they're amazing. Also, when I got packs from the Sunshine Coast and I travelled home, just me having a puppy, the interaction rate with people was so high. Mm. We so. stop every two hours on the drive and yeah, and and, and then you chat. have a clumsy owner who hasn't slept, and then her car keys fall under the car, and you have to go to the road workers in the high vis first. I'm like, can you mind my puppy for a second because I got to crawl under my car <laughs> to get my car keys. It's funny you say that. I remember when Macho was a baby, and we do the same routine. We take him to the pet stocks in the area and the Bunnings and everything like that. Subsequently, when Mando was a baby, we did the same sort of thing. We took him all around the areas, the scary stairs, all the places where you just do your normal neighbourhood social habitual sort of work. The funny thing is I've lived here in Dural now for 12 years and when I go in and out of Bunnings, which I regularly do, there's people there that have worked there forever and I don't know their names. But when I've taken puppies in there, I've learned half of their names with one puppy and the other half of their names (laughs) with the other one. So it's amazing how it can really... You know, like a community that never really takes the time to to meld or mesh with each other, just over something as simple as a little puppy can really bring people together. I can tell you why, and that's a whole podcast, but it's because puppies are associated with our happy inner child. You know, if you like dogs and you have a happy child and I have a happy child, they communicate. That's a great reason to have you back again. Not that we need one, but that's a really Sounds good reason good. To, to talk about that because I think that's an interesting topic. Well, thank you for having me. How thank do people you. get in touch with you again? When are you at this Richmond, Virginia thing? Mid-October in Virginia, Richmond. So the best way to contact me is birdieoshidi.com or hello at birdieoshidi. And, yeah, I'm on Facebook. And I'd love to see you guys in America. It's going to be so much fun. Like if you really feel like you could do with some – nourishment and nurture and some thrive for self-care come along it's going to be really cool mm-hmm. on the 10th and 11th of september narelle and i are going up to brisbane to do a seminar for Woo-hoo. sue war i think it's sold out i'm pretty sure it has already so i'm just bragging well I just, <laughs> I'm, I'm just i'm looking forward to going up there i haven't uh i haven't been up and done a seminar in I don't think I've done a seminar in Brisbane before. I think this is my first Brisbane seminar. Beautiful. I've done them in other parts of the country, but I haven't done one in Brisbane before. So I'm looking forward to going up there, doing the seminar, meeting a bunch of new people and some old friends like we just did in Canberra, and it's going to be cool. So thanks, Sue. Looking forward to hanging out with you for a couple of days. Yeah. How exciting. Yeah. Amazing. I'm going to America in two weeks. Yeah. Good luck, sir. And, yeah. and you're talking at the ICP conference? Yeah, I'm the ICP Sweaty conference. McSweats? Yep. I'm last speaker, so it'll be a lot of hanging around, catching up with people until I speak. And I finally have – like I always knew what I was talking about, but I've finally got it all cracked. I've got my flow. I've got everything Yay. ready to rock. Do Hopefully we know how many numbers are going to the conference? Uh, I think 300, something like that's that. Good. That's good size. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good size. So, yeah, if there's still tickets available. Should come if you're interested. Do you know on. that's the first conference, I think, since 2019? Yeah, since Colorado, yeah. 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 Face to face. Face to face, yeah. Yeah. It'll be good. I'm I'm really excited about it actually. It's really it's great to see that the world is 
coming back together and connecting each other. I think that all this time apart is not doing great things for the industry. And I mm. think when people come back together and they realise, oh, yeah, we do love each other, don't we? I went and saw Chris Rock do comedy the other night at Ace Arena, like, you know. The Chris Rock? Yeah. Uh, so it's not even called Ace Arena or Kudos Bank Arena or whatever. Anyway, 10,000 people yep. in, in one space all sitting on top of each other. And I was like, oh, this is weird. <laughs> What do I mean? Like it, it's, it's it does feel weird, doesn't it? get back to that. Yeah, it does feel weird. And the last time I was there was to see the monster trucks and that was like same thing, like 10,000 people. And I put it on Instagram and Canada at the time, it was between lockdowns for us, right? It was yep. when we had no COVID. And um, someone from Canada commented and was like, oh man, like I, that's so far removed from reality for me at the moment because we're in total lockdown and to see you at a stadium with 10,000 people and then to be back there after such strict lockdowns and not having been in any crowds or whatever. It's a weird world. It's strange to get back to it. Yeah, I'm going to concert tomorrow, so I can't wait. That's I, exciting. When I was in Canberra last week, there was a couple of people in there that were just saying they had to be careful because they've got immune compromised or family with immune compromised. And I got up and made an announcement. I said, I have got a cough but it's not from COVID. It's because I've just had laryngitis and I've got like an ongoing lung thing, but it's not contagious. It's just me coughing every now and then. But I did make a point of saying coughing has become the community's new farting in public. It's just that kind of thing where you cough now and people go, oh my God. Mate, when COVID was just starting, we- <laughs> I was in a cafe with some people in Newtown and I saw this lady. I was with Jane and a bunch of her friends. And so I wasn't really in the conversation. I was just kind of, I was physically there, but I was mentally somewhere else, you know? And I was just kind of looking around and I watched this lady over the table drink some water. And it was just like people were just starting to take COVID really seriously, right? And I watched that she kind of just drank it kind of the wrong way. It went down the wrong pipe or whatever. She chose to drown. Then cough. Oh, <laughs> I no. watched her. It, all she had to do was like, oh, Jesus Christ, I'm swallowed some water badly, right? She was like, nah, I'm drowning right here. And she just. <laughs> it's a podcast, so I can't show the face. But she just like was like, nah, this is how I go. And just somehow managed to get that water like out of her Just dropped it up silently. Silently. Mm. And she sat there hoping no one would watch because she was by herself at this other table. And then she looked around thinking like, oh, I got away with it and made like. <laughs> Straight eye contact with me. <laughs> and I just smiled and I was like, well done. You did it. Well played, Congratulations. Man. That's a good note. I still love it when you go out to a crowded place and there's one of those little kids who's got one of those gurgly coughs. Yeah. And you can see like everybody sort of looking up and looking over the child and smiling where you can hear the shrieking in their head going, cover that fucking child's mouth. <laughs> but one to three kids almost permanently, especially if they go to daycare, yeah, they have, just have those that. snot slugs that yeah. hang out of their nose. Like that's full time. And it sounds like they're ejecting like a liter of fluid out of their lungs every yeah. time they cough. All right. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. Mm-hmm. I know I just say that real fast like it's just part of the wrap-up of the show, but if you could do it, that would be really good. And if you've done it already, do it again because you can do it on iTunes for the episode, not just the whole thing. Do it as many times as you want. I know it sounds like such a fucking pain in the ass to do. It's not that hard. You could do it pretty quick. But it's good and for us. It's good for our algorithm. Well, it helps the algorithm. That's it. Yeah. And since I'm like a, a highly educated algorithm person now, since I work in that all day, it really does make 
make a huge it difference. Does. If you it can does. It, it really does. So please do that. That would help us a lot. And what you're actually doing is helping other people find the show by doing that. Mm. So if so you could do, do that, it. that'd be great. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is Patreon. Jump into there. You could give us as much or as little as you like. There's different tiers in there. There's a giant backlog of information if you want to get into all of that. We go live once a month in there to answer questions. There's all kinds of cool shit in there. But another way to support the show, if you're like, fuck you guys, I hear enough of you, I don't want to buy more of you in Patreon, is get a T-shirt. You yeah. can just look you can awesome. You rock it out and look cool. Yeah. And if you want to get in contact with us, the very best way to do that is to jump into the Facebook discussion group. Mm. This is a great group. It is it a is great a group. group. It's the best. And it's been moderated well. So thank you to our moderators. We were discussing the other day. So, you know, there's some bullshit in the industry at the moment. Some people doing some horrific shit in it, like in a board and train. Yep. And maybe we'll talk about that on the show at some point. But we just sort of like don't want to talk about it in the group. It's been talked about everywhere else. And so as the mods and admins of the group we have like a little chat and we sort of discuss like uh if anyone tries to post that in there like no one's posting it derogatory or anything but like it's an fyi but everybody in the industry we, knows about we've it we've seen it we don't we don't need more bad news. yeah we don't need to talk about it anymore but then that prompted a little conversation but in the mods group about like hey how are you guys haven't spoken in a while because mm. there's been no reason everybody's been so wonderful there's been no fuckery in the group which yeah is- adrian forsyth was really putting some good points out there yep. and uh, I haven't seen any conversation, as you said, from that group for a while because there hasn't really been any fuckery. Yeah. There hasn't great. been anything to report on or problematic. So I guess. No one's know, been calling you out for liking cavoodles. That's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to shoot us an email, we are info at the Goodbye. 